Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. things we say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. We are here in the dungeon again. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. And it's becoming a more common occurrence again. Yep. We've, just, we've just essentially had, and by we, I literally mean both of us, have had separate but equal emotional things <laughs> over these past few months <laughs> that have just, we've still gotten together and talked like we do here. We just didn't want to do it in front of you guys. We just needed to have conversations, just me and Sheldon. Yep. So that's why you've been getting these a little bit more sporadically, because we just needed vent time, and this was not the place. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out you are actually held accountable for your words. So you are. Some of our words uh, in the past little while, we just done processing together. That's without right. Without you guys in between. It was safer and smarter. Sometimes for Nate, sometimes for that's me. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So here we are, though we are we are on the air and we are talking to you. And we're so gonna we're gonna do the our best to be as real as possible in this absolutely. one. Absolutely, because we've been we've been doing really well at being real with each other. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is this technically on the air since it's not live? I mean, it's live right now as we're I doing it. I treat it like a radio show. Yeah, it kind of feels like a radio show. So we'll go with it. For me, I like radio shows. Yes. I just like saying on the air. <laughs> it's just nice. There's something good about it. Something old-fashioned oh, before we made radio fit our timetable, yes. which is all podcasts are. Yes. I love podcasts, man. Yep. And not just because we do one. They're just wonderful. All yeah. The it's genuinely ones. a part of my life. It is. Other people's podcasts. One of the more significant parts, as a matter of fact. I don't know. It's my lawn mowing. Yeah. It's when I listen. That too. I listen to podcasts while lawn mowing. Or work from home has led to more podcasts because it's like... I have earbuds in to drown out the noise around me. Totally. And having that doesn't distract me from what I'm doing. So Yeah, I'm the opposite, man. If I'm if I'm listening to a if I'm listening to a podcast, I can only do like manual menial labor. So yard work or something like that. But if I'm having to do like I'm having to type something, if I have to write emails or if I have to type Oh, it ain't happening. Yeah, if I'm if I'm like composing something, yeah. I get yeah. I yeah, get I've that. known people who actually study with music and stuff. I've never been that guy. I can't even hardly go to sleep with music on because my brain starts analyzing what's happening, what the different pieces of the band are doing, what's going on vocally, and my brain just won't it won't shut off. Musician lives are different. Apparently, so many things. Different is the kind word. Did you know? Give it. I posted this on Twitter, so you may have seen it, but you nope. haven't been on Twitter. No Twitter. Okay. I'm still off. PDX uh, Pet Design out of Portland okay. has designed something to help cat owners socially bond with their cats. Oh, no. Yeah. In a deeper way, in a more cat-like way. Okay. Can I just say, first of all... Every day we stray further from God. I say this <laughs> as a person whose father loves cats. There is something... <laughs> uniquely wrong with cat people. There just is. I think cats are cool. 
I don't have a problem with cats. I'm not a cat hater. But, like, the deeper you get into your relationship with your cat, the more there is clearly something wrong with you. Yeah. And the bigger the cat is and the deeper your relationship with it, the closer you are to Tiger King. Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) I am still glad to say I've not watched that, and I will not be watching that. I have no desire at all. I have no comment. But, like, nobody (laughs) has ever looked at somebody with the relationship with their dog and thought, like, oh, man, that's messed up. (laughs) But cats... Yeah, it happens with cats. Oh, you anyway, haven't even sorry. heard the worst of it. I know. I'm brace. I'm trying to like. They produce stall. something called the licky brush. Oh no! Which is one part brush and one part tongue extender. Oh. The human man. simply fits the licky brush over his or her tongue oh. and then uses it to groom their feline pet, making it feel like a kitten again by getting the intimate tongue bath from its mother. They had to put the phrase "intimate tongue bath" in there. <laughs> Oh, this is the real thing. I went and looked it up and <sighs> I posted it on Twitter. What's it called? The Licky Brush L I C K I. I want to see it. I'm going to, you guys hang right on. Right here just it is. A I have a picture of it. Let me see it. See it? L I C K I Licky Your Cat Brush, it's called. Oh, Look at that. man. You kind of like and stick it in your mouth. It looks like something from a Mario, like an old. NES Mario game. Oh, it's <laughs> like horrifying. a spike shell. Oh. It kind of does look like yeah. that, except it goes all the way around Ugh. your tongue. It's like a. It's like. I rest my it, case. I rest my glow case. glow in the dark? Why would you need it to glow in the dark? I don't know. That's got to be uncomfortable for the cat. Its uh. mother didn't have a glowing tongue. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, cats. I remember reading an article one time that that was basically talking about the fact that what we think of as playful with our cats is actually them trying to kill us. They're just not big enough to do it. Uh. And I was like, yeah, they have not been domesticated very long. They are scary, scary animals. <laughs> They're very scary animals. A wise man once told me, dogs have masters, cats have staff. Yes. Yes, they do. It's very true. You are staff for now, your Now, I cat. will admit, I mean, the litter box thing is gross, but the upkeep of a cat is nothing. You can leave that thing alone for weeks, and it doesn't care. You leave a dog home for more than a day, it will find something wrong to do. Right. And you will pay for it. (laughs) And quite literally, you will pay for it. Anyway, that's horribly disturbing. I I don't know what I... brush. I don't know what I think of you sharing that with me. I I feel like it's just a very sad commentary (laughs) on where we've come (laughs) as far as a species. Also, it's getting harder and harder to invent invent things. I feel like we've we've, uh, done it all. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No, not quite. Do you remember that scene from The Office where (laughs) where Angela got a nanny cam to watch her Uh new cat with her her new litter of kittens, I think? Oh, no. It was just a cat that she had bought, a new one. When was it that the whites slaughtered all her cats and put them in a freezer? Just one cat. Oh, one of them in a freezer. her, Her oldest cat. (laughs) <laughs> sprinkles. He put it in a freezer. Put it in a freezer, and apparently it wasn't dead, even though he thought it was, and it woke up and shredded things inside there. But they they caught Angela on the nanny cam because she accidentally left it on when she went to the went back home, and she was literally grooming her cats with her tongue, <laughs> licking not with the licky brush, straight licking her cats with the tongue. Maybe that's what inspired it. Maybe so. <laughs> that's horrifying. So we need to change the subject. I'm done with this. Somebody was telling me that one of a good pastime to do is to try and come up with an app that hasn't been invented. Oh. And every time you think you find it, type it into the app store, and <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like, I just, 
I was watching um, my friend Aubrey on her YouTube channel, watching her like try and say something backwards into an app that records what you say and then plays it in reverse. Yeah. So you get something that types it out in reverse. Yeah. You try and say things backwards and then listen to yourself, in this yeah. case, singing it forwards because you're recording yourself you know, backwards. You know, Chris Martin did that for... Uh, what, back The masking? scientist. No, no, no. For the scientist, the music video. I, have I ever played the music video for the scientist for you? I don't think so. I'll have to play it for you after this. I'll, okay. We'll... we'll, we'll find a link to it or something and share it maybe. after podcast YouTube sessions. Yes, that's right, because that is the thing. But he, the whole video is backwards. It it starts where it ends and then works its way back to the beginning of the narrative. And it's literally him. Yeah, it's literally, yeah, and it's literally him walking backwards and he learned the song backwards so that as he's doing this, these things forward, because that's all he did. He just went from here did it all the way through one one big take, and then, um, and then they just reversed it. But he had to sing the song backwards oh. so that when you're seeing it in reverse, it looks like his lips are matching. So he actually learned the whole song backwards, and and did <sighs> that for that video. Which yeah. I think there have been other people that did. I think, I think, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Mute Math did something like that for Walk Off the Earth. Typical, their, I think. Their music video for Red Hands, they shoot a certain section of that in reverse. Yeah. But, yeah, the music video for Red Hands is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like, nobody makes music harder on themselves than Walk Off the Earth. Yeah. Like, you could simply sing the song. Yeah. But they're always doing something I've, totally ridiculous. I've just discovered these guys because they did a Beatles tribute. Oh, okay. That was phenomenal. That basically mixed... I forget how many Beatles songs into one medley, and it is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. One of the it's best things on YouTube, if you sit down and watch Red, Red Hands, the music video, and then watch how it was made, yeah, it'll blow your mind. It was one continuous shot from one end of the room to the other, and they actually, the, the whole song is cut up into bits. Yeah. But they did a different part of the song at a different part, and they're walking through. Yeah this building and it's one continual shot where the camera just backs up and they walk towards the camera mm. and they walk from one end of the building to the other, but they sing a different part of the song at different parts and some of it's sped up and some of it's slow down and some of it's so they, in reverse. Yeah, they change the editing essentially so based that on what's going on. So when they cut it up and put it back in order, it was all right. But yeah, when they're showing you the original camera shot, it's crazy. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know they did things that more in depth like that. Yeah. What's that one really crazy band that's done that where they did the they actually did the they f- the very first thing they did that was went viral was them on treadmills I doing a, a music video to their song with treadmills and then they did one where they had the oh what's that thing called why can't I think of, of that where where you you uh, uh, Rube Goldberg machine that okay. ran the entire music video it was huge it was like in a warehouse. Um, and then there was one where they actually went up in the uh, the vomit comet. I don't know what any of these things are. You don't know so what far. the vomit comet is? The no. vomit comet is is what they use. We're talking about things that we know marginally. Yeah. <laughs> the the vomit comet is what astronauts use to train weightlessness. Oh, okay. They'll go up in a plane. It's in a jet, and they'll do they'll do massive uh, sharp angle ascents, and then 
sharp angle descents. So basically, so they're literally you're floating about in the cabin. Well, they did a whole music video doing that and floating around and doing all this crazy stuff. And it's a one shot music video. That's their big thing is their music videos are one shot, one take, and done. And uh, it's insane. I'll have to show you that too. It's ma- it's amazing. There I can't go. remember the name of the band though, but I'll be able to find them. This is the podcast where we send you on YouTube journey. Yeah, somebody somebody here is like, oh, it's this band. I don't remember their name. Yeah. I can see them. I can physically see the people. I can I can see what they look like, but I can't remember the name of the band. Yeah. But that's not why we're here. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No, what, what I wanted to talk about tonight was just um, we've talked a little bit about where we came from and some of the things we're up to now and things that make us passionate now, but... I thought it'd be fun to talk about um, where we see ourselves going, or not not where we see ourselves going, but who we would like to become. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I want to talk about this in 2020 is I think there's so much focus on who we are and what's happening in the now and what we should fear in the now. But we need, if we're going to be successful, we need to focus on who we want to become. Totally. As a country, as a state, as a city, as a church, whoever you are, you need to be looking ahead and saying, this is what I want to do, or this is what I want to become. This is what I want right. me to look like. This is what I want my family to look like and things like that. It's, But I, I'm not really talking about goal setting necessarily. It's just more like, okay, if I want to become this, what am I doing now yeah. that's going to help that? Yeah. Um, so the first thing off the top of my head is that I would... Uh, sorry, I just got a text. I'm going to turn my ringer off. There we go. Um, <laughs> I don't know if mine's on or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I, w- I would like to become unoffendable, to get to that place yeah. where I'm actually unoffendable. It's, it's something that I feel like I'm pretty close to. Yeah. It's a concept that I came into contact with. For, I think it was Francis Frangipan that I first heard it from. But just talking about offense, like holding offense and carrying bitterness is such a terrible thing. It does so much damage to a person, does so much damage to your soul. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Right. And so the reverse of that is to say, listen, if I'm not going to carry offense, I need to not be able to be offended mm. and say, I'm not going to hold to my rights in such a way that it's like, this offends me. Yeah. I'm offended by this Yeah, and carry it personally. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's, that's just a part of me that just was not built in. I mean, it's just not there. I, and again, it's from my into s- your personality or do you feel like that was culturally, you were raised in a, culture that didn't carry offense i think i was raised in a culture that didn't carry offense but i also think there's a piece of me that was it was an i had a natural bent just broke off that way yeah (laughs) that just wasn't there and um you know it's funny because i think it's it's a dismissiveness on my part that i've had to learn to care more about a lot of things and a lot of people in a lot of situations but it 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 always makes me think of that line from uh casablanca when uh Nice. Sheldon just killed I a fly with his fly. bare hands and did it well. Thank you, sir, for doing that. He was bothering me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart's talking to this guy, and this guy looks at him all of a sudden and goes, you despise me, don't you? And he goes, well, if I gave you any thought, I probably would. That's me. Like, that was, that was me the majority of my life. Yeah, if I gave you any thought, yeah, maybe I would be offended by you, but I don't, I don't think about, I don't give you any thought. Like, it just wasn't there. 
Um, and again, that's something I've had to learn is, is actually to care about people. Now, I mean, I'm not a sociopath. I care about the people that I, yeah. that I know and that I love and that I'm, that I'm close to. But just in a, in a larger sense, what people think about me, what people's opinions are of me, I hate being misrepresented more than I hate being misunderstood. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a weird thing for me. I've, I've never had that. I've just never had that. Yeah. Um, but you know people that are easily offended yeah. and like thin skinned where you can tell like just this one comment just got to them or yeah. this other thing just and, got to them and, and they to be clear, are immediately offended. There's a big difference between somebody who is easily offended and someone who is looking for offense. Yes, so, that's what so I'm talking about. if you are I mean. an easily offended personality, that is not a degenerative thing. Right. Like you are not a reprobate for having that. That you just could means be highly compassionate. Yes, you're and, compassionate, you're a sensitive yeah. person, and that is okay. I do not understand you well, <laughs> but that is okay. However, if you were someone who is you in his life to yes, help him with to help compassion. me help me learn <laughs> compassion. Um but if you are one of those who goes looking for offense, yep. there is something wrong with you and you need to deal with it. Right. It's not it's not unfixable, but you need to deal. You need to figure that stuff out and you need to deal with that. Because that yeah. is that is unhealthy. That is a degenerative behavior that you need to figure out and you need to get past. Yeah. And like if it's one thing for people to value the opinions of others and have compassion and empathy for someone else that they feel literally feel what they're feeling and it affects them. Yeah. It's another thing to be, um, look, yeah, like you said, looking for something or, um, what am I trying to say? Where people are looking to pick a fight, basically they're yeah. looking for an offense. They're just it's looking like, for an it's excuse. It's like that chip on your shoulder thing totally. where, it, it comes out in different ways, both as like chippiness or I'm looking for a fight or n nothing is ever quite right. Yeah. They're just like, this is not okay. They can always find something wrong with something. A right. highly critical person, that's not what I want to become. Totally. So when I find myself being easily dissatisfied and it becomes to be a way of life, I'm like, no, listen, I've got a lot of good things going. So yeah. in future me, I hope is way less offendable than current me yeah. is you know and not not taking things personally and recognizing that when somebody else is being an idiot towards me they may just be going through something they, yeah. I, they may be taking out on me what they have going on somewhere else you know and it's not about me it might not even have anything to do with me even though they're saying it directly right. to me. you just happen to be the target they're swinging at right you're, you're a target of opportunity and as a parent um, maybe it's just because I'm an authority figure. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with me personally. Yeah. Or maybe it's just because I'm a coworker and you hate your job. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry. You don't hate me. You, <laughs> you don't hate, hate me. You just hate being here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and enjoying where I'm, where I'm at, wherever that is, making the best of it, that kind of thing. That's that's one of the traits that I would hope. To. Yeah. I, I think a trait that's always been important to me and one that I've chased for a long time and still see myself chasing is is wisdom. Uh. I, I want to be the kind of person that is thought of as a wise person. A wise guy. And for <laughs> It's a little different, but oh yeah, no. sure, we'll go with that. I have that down. <laughs> um, I, it's interesting, though, because I think for a long time, I looked at that as knowledge. Like yep. I pursued knowledge, and I still do. I mean, I love, I hate not knowing something. 
I enjoy discovering new things and discovering, but if I, like, I hate being wrong about something, not because I'm wrong, but because I didn't know. I didn't like know the, I was wrong The fact about that this. I didn't know, it, it, it drives me crazy. And uh, because I will defend something even if I'm wrong until I'm proven wrong. But then once I'm proven wrong, I'm like, dang it, how did I not know that? Like, I, need to, I should know that. But I've come to the realization that 80% of wisdom is listening. Ah, yeah. 80% of wisdom is not necessarily saying the thing you say the moment you mean to say it, but also not necessarily say, saying anything. Just being able to sit and listen and, and, and sit back in a situation. And I'm, I'm learning how I may get better at that. I'm still not great at it. Um, and that is one of the things that the aspect of, of wisdom that I think is the most important that I want to acquire, I want to acquire is, is being known as a person who is wise, not because I have something to say, but because I'll listen. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that's always impressed me so much about my dad. Just, he has so much that he could say. Yeah. I have, I have watched this man read four or five books at a time that he's just Sitting, that was one of the one of my biggest memories. Going on vacation, go, being on a speedboat. All of us kids are skiing or wakeboarding or tubing. He's sitting in the bow of the boat with his briefcase full of books. He's got his his earbuds in and he's listening to, you know, sermons or presentations. It was pre podcasts really, so he's listening to that. He's reading books and he's switching between three four books. And I'm like, how do you process all of this all at once? I mean, my dad is a wealth of knowledge. But his wisdom in his, is in his ability to listen. And that, once that clicked with me, that's been one of the biggest things that I look at. I'm like, I want to be that. Well, that's what I was wondering. Where did you see that modeled? Or did you yeah. just run across it where you're like, okay, this pursuit of knowledge is not necessarily a pursuit of wisdom. When you say that wisdom is about listening, who like, yeah. who comes to your mind? Obviously, yeah. your dad. Totally. But. Totally my dad. And and that, that played in a compassionate role for him. That's played in a in a... I mean, it's basically given him this edge of like in a in an emotional and figurative sense, knowing where all the bodies are buried. He's been the guy that's been sitting in a corner listening to what's been going on yeah. and, 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 and understands the dynamics. He doesn't miss a beat. I was just in a setting with him the, the other day where he was <clears throat> he was just around and I was having a conversation with someone and I didn't even know that he was even around me and yeah. he caught up with me later and was like hey you know what were you and that guy <laughs> talking about and i'm like i didn't even know you saw me talking to these people like it was really yeah. awareness and i was just like that's that's a next level of like listening and being aware of yeah. the people around you and caring yeah, yeah. so that's that's a big one for me is is i want to be known as someone who listens and not just yeah waits my turn to talk yeah but that actually listens yeah i I've often wondered how people are good counselors. Like, how in the world do you get good at that job? And because <laughs> I'm like, the, the anyone can walk through your doors. Yeah. And it's like, how are you good at this? Yeah. Like being able to sit down with anyone. And a lot of it is listening. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I wish I could be a good listener. I, I do talk way too much. <laughs> like the gap between what I know and what I say is not large enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> so yeah <laughs> i would look I'm, i would agree with you i'd like to broaden that gap yeah i'd also like to 
be unafraid. And mm. I think and a little bit like unashamed, unashamed about who I am, what I believe, but also unafraid of what people think or whatever. But basically, I, I want to get to the place where I'm unafraid, where I lose that fear of am I qualified? Am I, am I enough right now? Am I, being able, am I hitting mm. the mark? Am I not? And there is that level of fear in so many different areas of my life that I run into it. Maybe less now than 10 years ago, but it's not gone. Yeah. It's not something that's left. But being so comfortable, and this is something that I have talked to my counselor about, because <laughs> that's one of the things I was asking him. He's like, being comfortable in your own skin, yeah. where you are able to just share your feelings and not feel bad about it. Yeah. Because you are comfortable enough with yourself. You're at peace within yourself. So everything that's coming out of you is coming from a place of peace. Yeah. So I'm feeling this emotion right now. I'm, I'm feeling love towards this person. I'm feeling, I'm feeling upset by this. But I trust myself enough to share that, being unafraid of what's inside or what's coming out or what I've produced or who I am. Like being that comfortable in my own skin is something I really desire. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's funny because I think a lot of people confuse that with confidence. Yeah. And it's, it's not the same no, thing. No, I have confidence in spades. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a confident person. Yeah. I've never not been confident. Yeah. Like when people get up to bat, I don't know if you ever saw yourself striking out or saw yourself hitting something. I always thought I was going to hit. Yeah. I didn't think yeah. I was going to strike out. When I was in Little League, I just didn't want to get hit by the ball. Because <laughs> I, got, I got drilled in the chest once with a fastball, and it was cool. awful. It was awful. <laughs> and I didn't, even get, I didn't even get to take my base because I collapsed. And when I did, like my wrist you know, broke, and they counted it as a Went swing. Went across the plate. Yeah, but luckily for me, that pitcher was terrified, and he pitched outside to me the rest of the time, and I walked. But yeah, it was very unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I have confidence in spades. It's not. It's not confidence. Yeah. It. It is just that. That no regret of what I've said or self self analysis not being a scary thing because I know, I know I'm totally comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. And I. I, I don't feel bad confessing that. Like, I know a lot of people are at that place. Yeah. And I wish, like, in the future, that's something that I wish to develop to get to that place where I'm unafraid mm -hmm. and unashamed. And I think we sing songs like we sang this morning, the Graves in the Gardens, where it's, or no, it, Father's House, check your shame at the door. Yeah. Because it's not welcome anymore. Part of getting rid of shame and guilt is recognizing that forgiveness that once you've once you've cut something off and yeah. had it forgiven, that that is no longer part of you. Right. And you don't let it rest there. And that's part of becoming comfortable in your yeah. own skin, like trusting who you are, trusting who God says you are, and wearing that identity well. Yeah. That's something that I really liked. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You, we, were, we were talking a little bit about that aspect of forgiveness and how yeah. I, I think that, that in evangelicalism, we have kind of abandoned a good thing in in absolution 
from a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Yeah, we you know, could do better at forgiveness. Right. Obviously, in Anglicanism and, and Catholicism, there is a, a role of, of confession. Um, I don't actually know. I'm, I'm kind of disturbed by how little I know about the Eastern Orthodox Church. I need to, I need <laughs> to do some research into that. But um, I, there's, there's, a, a, there's something about being told by someone, hearing out loud, your sin is forgiven, go, go in, in peace. peace. Yeah. And it's not, there is a confusion for people. They think that a priest or somebody doing that is, is them forgiving them. No, they're saying, just as Jesus did, you have a contrite heart, you've demonstrated repentance, and yeah. you are forgiven because God forgives you. So yes, I'm declaring that over you. you are, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. It's not that person having some kind of power, but... As as priests uh, as priests in Christ, we have that authority to to yeah, give that absolution to our brothers and sisters. We will sing it over each other. Yeah, and we may even say it theologically that we would believe that, but we don't. We don't in in a lot of Protestantism. We don't just look at somebody and say your sin is right. forgiven. I think I think that's something that we could revisit, and and that could be a beneficial thing. Um, even even in even in you know you know. Uh, celebrating the Eucharist, taking communion, you know, that, that of, of having somebody speak, you know, the, the, you know, body and blood of Christ, your sins have forgiven you. Like it's, it's a reminder. It's not a, a, this physical act is saving you, but it's a reminder that through this you are forgiven. And uh, I think, I think we could, yeah, I think we sacrifice. could stand a little more of that. Yeah. And I think it goes very much to that idea of, of what you're saying of that, of that security within yourself, that, yeah. that solidness of, of, of having that sense of, especially as a believer, of that solidness with God, of that solidness with Christ. Like, I am, I am saved, I am established, I am a part of the family. And some of that goes a little deeper, and I think we're not too far off talking about forgiveness, but it goes a little deeper into, like, assurance of salvation. Yeah. Like, am yep. I really saved? Am I a child of God? And yeah. we will declare it. We'll say, my sins are forgiven, I am a child of God, you know, all of this stuff. But do we believe it deep down? And, and do we have assurance of salvation? And one of the things when I was studying this quite a bit in one of my classes, I, I, did, I did look into assurance of salvation because it is a big deal in my life. Yeah. Um, in the tradition I was raised in, you could lose your salvation. And the tradition that we're currently in, we believe that you could lose your salvation. You could like, walk away from it. You could it. walk away. Yeah, you can that, make yeah, the choice I mean. to walk away from yes, it. That is, a, that is a point of confusion, but an important right. I'm one. I'm not saying that you can just randomly lose right. it. Right? right. You could reject it. Yes. And and ultimately refuse it and walk away. Right. Um, but the assurance of salvation is an underlying thing that once you've settled that as a Christian and you've settled that question, yeah. there's peace on the other side of that. And I'm not saying that you won't move from a place of like solidness to like, man, is this the real deal mm -hmm. or is it not that you may go back and forth several times, but one of the things that I found most helpful is that things, um, and that things in scripture were established by two witnesses. Mm. And that's why that in the new Testament takes such great care to say that our witness bears witness with the spirit yep. that we are a child of God that is established on the basis of two witnesses. Our spirit testifies, the Holy Spirit testifies yeah. within us. If our, if our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are saved, that is 
what we call an assurance of salvation. Right. And I love that picture because it's like a it's like a courtroom of having something established by two witnesses. Right. And it's us and the Spirit both testifying to the same thing. And the other thing that I was telling Nate earlier is that for me, it's or you were saying about the genuine affection. Yeah, yeah. How did you say that? Yeah, there I'll was a there, there was a quote from R.C. Sproul who uh, a, a person asked him in a Q and A, um, it how he how he could know he was part of the elect, how he know he was saved, and he used the term elect because they were Calvinists, and so it had that that connotation to it. Right. Um, uh, which, being a Wesleyan, we would have some disagreement on that theologically, but that's not it's not a it's not a heaven or hell issue really. Um, but he basically, this man was very distraught and said, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I have assurance of my, 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 of being a part of the elect? And, and Sproul just basically said to him, if you have any genuine affection for Christ, that he, that it, that it moves you, that it, it impacts your life, that it make, it, it directs your decisions, the affection that you have for Christ, you are, you are part of the elect. You are, you're, you have an assurance of salvation. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good answer, especially coming from somebody who, is of a tradition that can get too much up in the head sometimes and not really focus on the relational aspect yeah. of um, relationship with Christ. Um, but that's one of the things I've always loved about Sproul is there was any, you just had to hear the man talk and you could just hear the affection that he had for Christ. I mean, it was just, it was evident in the way that he spoke. You could see it in his eyes. I mean, it was just, and I remember even seeing him towards the end of his life, you know, wearing oxygen and whatever, but there was still just that, you could see it. It was so evident, and yeah. I always appreciated that about him. But yeah, that was that was that. And and I think that another place you can look when you say, "Does my spirit actually testify that I'm saved?" What is it that moves you in your soul? Yeah. What is it that moves you? Like when you think of Jesus and what He did for you, and where you're going, and and what your future looks like with Him. What is it that moves you? What what moves you from a place of sinfulness, uh, haughtiness, self-righteousness yeah. to the place of brokenness, forgiveness, repentance, yeah. and all of that. What is, what is that for you? And is, is that the foundational relationship in your life? If you lost everything tomorrow, what would you have? And, and if you say, I would have my relationship with Jesus, he is my everything. Right. Like I recognize that all of this is temporary. You know, even my relationship with my wife, she's temporary. She's going to die someday. Mm -hmm. I'm temporary. I'm going to die someday. Like everything I know, everything I own, everything in this life is temporary. It doesn't last long. Yeah. And I cannot hold it tightly. There is one thing that I hold to. And that that is my spirit, my soul testifying and saying, I believe that I'm a child of God. Yeah. And then if you have the Holy Spirit at work in your life, he can also bear witness to you in those times where you're uncertain and say, listen, you, you are, I've been chasing you. Right. I, I've been here. Like I've been here all along. I've been yeah. calling you and, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think there's something special for me in that. Yeah. But yeah, I think that there's, there's something too, for me that the whole idea of absolution of salvation has always been in the idea of being made new, not just being made new in an instant, but continually being made new. Like that is the aspect of yeah. relationship with Christ that moves me more than anything else. I will never forget, you know, that that had just been something that resonated in me for a long time. But I'll never forget when I saw The Passion of the Christ for the first time. Obviously, there's a lot going on there, and there's a lot of emotional, you know, it was, yeah. a, it was a well-filmed movie. They did a great job with it. But 
the part that broke me was there's a scene where Jesus is, carry, Jesus is carrying the cross. He's falling down. Mary is having this kind of flashback to him as a little kid tripping mm-hmm. and falling and him tripping and falling here. And she rushes to him and, you know, she's just trying to comfort him in this moment. And he reaches up and touches her face and says, you see, mother, I make all things new. And oh my goodness. I mean, even now, like I can yeah. feel there was just, there's something in that, that continual reality of, yeah, you're forming me, still yeah. forming me. I'm not perfected, yeah. but you're forming me and you're making me new. And in that journey, I, I have security. The fact that you're pointing out things in my life that need to change, that you're still forming me, that you're still molding me to your likeness. That is my, my thing where I can come back to and I can come back to that foundational of I don't necessarily feel great about where I'm at right now in a spiritual sense, or maybe I'm struggling a little or I'm fighting, but you are forming me. Like you yeah. are still making me new. And man, there's just something in that for me. Yeah, that's what we're talking about tonight. What does a new me look like? Yeah. Like from where I am to where I'd like to be. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the real thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really something I've really been challenged with. And I was actually sharing with a, with a friend recently about this, but seeing people in context of their brokenness, I am one and I've said it semi tongue in cheek before. I'm one who takes people in the sense of, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to assume you're an idiot until you tell me otherwise, like until you show me something different. That's a simplification. Yeah. I'm just going to assume you're stupid until you can prove me otherwise. I don't think everybody is stupid, I, I start at the curb and then move up from there. But I've realized that while that has produced some healthy habits in me, that approach is not a healthy one. Yeah. Um, it is funnier to say, but it is, it is not a healthy yeah. one. And so I, I want to transition to looking at people through the lens of their brokenness. Not that I nun- understand their whole story, not that I can, in a moment, know exactly why they're doing something, but understand that if there is something that's that's coming at me, whether it's an attack or or whether it's a, a, a random moment of an outburst where they're angry or whatever, looking at that and not saying, I'm going to carry this or I'm offended by that or you're just an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about, but saying there is some brokenness that is that, that I'm, I'm, res- I'm the receiving end of here. Yeah. And not letting that sit on me, but also not holding that over their heads either. Right. Like somewhere along the line, you have been, you have been hit, broken and damaged in a way that has caused this response. Just like there are responses that I have that are out of my own brokenness and my own damage in my life. And I want to see people through that lens. I don't want to just assume stupidity. I want to look and say brokenness is, is the, is the baseline for all of us. We all start there. Um, some of us are more broken than others and more, you know, more pieces, but we are all equally broken. And so, so looking at people through that lens, instead of just the, well, yeah, he's, you know, Bob's just an idiot. That's, that's all that is. I don't want to be that guy. Um, I will, I will be a little sarcastic and pretend to be that guy, but I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the one who sees through, through brokenness, um, primarily. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I want to know. I want to know like how to be a good leader. I think if I look if I look at what I hope to be in the future, like I love coaching. I love seeing people catch it oh, like for themselves. Yes. And and I love 
one of the things that's been hardest about quarantine is getting not being able to get random groups of people together. My favorite thing is getting random groups of people together and yeah. doing something together. Yeah. Like I coached my, my kids flag football team. I didn't know any of these kids at the beginning <laughs> of the season. I didn't know if they were even talented whatsoever or anything, Yeah. but it was cool. You put all the same jerseys on them and you start teaching them the same things in the same way and everybody coming together and, and getting really fired up about each other yeah. and establishing some principles and everything and just being like, okay, we're not going to tolerate you talking down this guy because he's your teammate. Right. And in the game, he's going to need to pick you up. And if you're talking him down in practice, that's not going to work. Not happen. Yeah. So like, and, and so we have to have that end goal in mind, but I want to know what it's like, like that was a small way, but I think, Building legacy through leadership is really difficult to do. Mm. People can have leadership moments or they can yeah. come up with good leadership principles, yeah. but like legacy leadership is really hard to do. Yeah. And you think about the number of leaders that have led well for maybe 10 years or led well for 20 years, but it didn't end well. Yeah. Or leaders that l had a massive rise and everybody's like, this guy's the leader. And then it turns out eh, maybe he wasn't the long-term leader. Right. He was good enough to get it started, but not a good enough to see it through. I want to know what it's like to become that guy that leads through to the end. Even if it's just, even if I don't end up leading an organization or adults or anything more than, uh, than my own family. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just my wife, my kids, uh, whatever next generation is that it looks like, like what, what, what do I need to do today yeah. in order to be that guy that leads well all the way through? Well, and not only that, but the reality of passing on the, passing the baton. Yeah. Cause that's where I think it gets lost the most. I think people yeah. can lead well through their whole life, yeah. but not pass it on. And then the next phase of the church, the business, the family, it all gets twisted. And yeah. it's like, what was your legacy? Right. If you didn't lead well enough to to leave that legacy, what, what did you have? I don't know. It's something that I've been considering. Like, how good is my leadership? My leadership today cannot be based on, did I win the football game? Did we win the championship together? But will those guys go on to the next level with something that I gave them Yeah. where they will look back on this and say, you know what, that I've judged a lot of my teams based on that one really good team I was a part of. Yeah. Like that was a good legacy type thing. Yeah. Even, even in a small way, you know, and I don't, I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Even if you don't have a lifetime with these people leading in a way that the five years, two years, six years, whatever it is that you had with them, becomes a legacy that sticks with yeah. them. It's a defining thing. It's right. a, it's a, it's a, it's a measure. You go yeah. back to that and say this, I, I can do that with different places that I've been like this for me is what worship looks like. Yeah. Cause I've been in that environment. I know what it is. I know what I'm after. I know what I'm seeking Yeah. and I'm seeking God in this way. And I know what it means to meet him with a group of people, and that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, I know what a good company culture looks like. I know what, a, you know, some of that stuff, and I know specific places that I'm pointing back to, and that's a legacy in my life. Yeah. 
Or like you said, somebody that's wise. You know when you run across them. Right. And, and it's like, wow, that guy, I was only with him for like four years. But man, he changed me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's something that I'd like to become. Yeah. Hmm. And this is a tricky one because it is Father's Day currently. Okay. It is Father's Day. But I I want to become the dad that my that make my kids aspire to be a dad like me. Yeah. That was a weird way to say it, but you understand what I'm saying. I want to be the type of dad that you want to follow in the footsteps of. And obviously yeah. my daughters won't follow in my footsteps as a dad, they would follow in my footsteps as a mom, but it is not a far distance they want to between those two things. Like yeah. Me. Yeah. Where they would look look to what I did, and again, I don't expect to be perfect as a father. I could already give you a list of the things I have not been perfect in in the four short years that I have. And been if a father. you can't, go ahead and put all your parenting decisions on Facebook, <laughs> and we will all tell you and why you're will, wrong. And we will all come back after a year and be reminded <laughs> of this moment. Um, but but I do. I I want to I want to have the type of home, and I want my kids to have the kind of experience growing up that they look back on, and what they remember is something they aspire to. Do you think that's the testimony, whether or not you're a good parent, in that your kids want to be parents? Like, that's one of the biggest things I they think, aspire to? I think while you cannot judge every parent by the behavior of their children, right? I think that children are the ultimate litmus test of whether or not you were a parent in terms of what they think of you. Not necessarily how they react to you, but what they actually think of you. And and I was thinking about that. Was it uh, like I disagree with my dad all the time? Right. But he's a he's a well, really that, trustworthy well, that was, guy. Like, I remember hearing that about. You don't even have to agree necessarily. Yeah. Like, I remember hearing about James Dobson's son, how he got off into the weeds. You know, was really rebellious in his teenage years and early twenties. But he had multiple encounters with people who would maybe like they try to get him to say something about his dad or his mom and dad, and he'd basically say, "No, like they're the real deal. Like this is my thing." Yeah. Like, like I'm, it's not their fault that I'm doing this. Like I am choosing to do these things I'm doing, but they are the real deal. And that's what I want. Like I, obviously I don't want my kids to have rebellious moments and, and, and rebellious stretches in their life. And I genuinely don't believe they have to, Yeah. but I want them to be able to look at what I've done in the home and what our home has been and say, but this was real. This was genuine. And I can't deny that. And I don't mean that from a pride sense. I mean, if I am going to be successful at this, if I am doing this right, that should be where we end up. Yeah. And, and so that's a big aspirational thing that until I'm dead uh, is going to be a reality because I, that's, that, that will be something I will have to fight to maintain and keep moving forward on my entire life. And parents, I, one thing that I found the most helpful if you're a new parent or even if you're at the stage that I am, one of the things I found most helpful is don't act like people in 2020 where you start speaking curse over an entire year. Uh -huh. So people will lead you into this. They'll be like, well, they're a great kid now, but wait until they're two. Oh, I hate they're it. They're a great kid now, but wait until they're 10. Yeah. Wait until they're 17. No, shut up. Yes. I am looking forward to my kids at 17. Yeah. I'm looking forward to my kids at 21. I am desperately looking forward to the day they can drive. Yeah. I, I already, but I'm also not speaking curse over where they are right now. Not right. being like, oh, this is just a phase. I'm sure it'll pass. Or even when they were younger and 
they were two, they were three, and we were going through rough stuff. Yeah. I loved that phase. Yeah. I have loved every phase of raising my kids. Yeah. And I'm, I know, okay, every parenting situation is different. Every kid's situation is different. But some of this is what you make it. Yeah. You can enjoy this phase. Yeah. You can enjoy your, your children right now. And they, they can be ornery little brats. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. And you can still find something to enjoy about that time that you get to spend with them. Yeah. It's not that long. Somebody was like, somebody just told me today, they're like, well, you know, you probably only have seven, seven more years of, of your daughter in the house. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like, I remember when she had only been here for seven years. Yeah. And that wasn't long at all. Yeah. And yeah. that was one of the first things I said to Kayla uh, when, when Strong had his fourth, fourth birthday. I was like, 14 more years. Yeah, that's what, that's what, what we probably got. 14 more years, and I was like, "That's not long enough, man. That's it's, just so it's short." It's a short time, and you've got to enjoy these stages because they can tell if you're not enjoying it. Yeah, and they can they can pick up on if you're cursing their entire third year. Yeah, and saying, "Oh, it's just because they're three, and it's terrible. Yeah, and they're terrible right now, and hopefully the next phase is better, but it's probably not going to be." Yeah, but stop doing that. <laughs> You're no, not helping I, them, and you're not helping you. No, that's totally true. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that will so make... So far, I've got to 12, and yeah. I've really enjoyed it. There's nothing that will make me discount someone's advice more than <laughs> them starting with, well, just wait until... Yeah. And I'm just like... Mm, I'm already checked out. I'm checked out. Yep, I'm sorry. <laughs> you've, used the wrong, you've used the wrong salad of words yep. for me to be okay with what's about to come out of your mouth. Because Jess won't go with me to rock shows anymore. So I need somebody that will go with me. <laughs> That's right. And I'm growing two of them, hopefully. That's right. They, they give start us dragging me to country shows, though. Yeah. I'm not oh, going to be handling this no. very well. <laughs> no. No, nah, I'll be fine. I'll be cool. Man, I've seen so many things at the one country show I've ever been to. <laughs> it was just, the, it was the worst and yet most fascinating thing I've ever seen. <laughs> just. Oh, man. I'm happy to say my one and only country show was Brad Paisley. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. You know, he played at the Wayne County Fair. The Wayne County Fair gets awesome it does, people to but play. But they got him at an uh, in an odd way. Wayne County, Ohio. Great job yeah, with people you They do. got him in an odd way. They contracted him to play when he was an up-and-comer in 2001. Oh, wow. He was coming here. Nice. 9-11 happened. And he could not come. Travel was down. Planes were down. Could not come. And so he basically said, okay, I'm going to book again out like three years. Wow. And so by the time he came back to fulfill that obligation, he was not just, oh, this guy Brad Paisley. He was Brad Paisley. He is massive. And he came and, he came and played at the Wayne County Fair at the pavilion there. And uh, it was quite the show. He's a phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. And he's a great songwriter, actually. Yeah, it was He's Brad Paisley, Sarah Evans, and Sugarland. Yeah. So yeah. That was our one and yeah. only. My favorite song of his is Me Neither. <laughs> if you haven't heard that song, it's it's one of the best. A lot of mine is is my favorite, but laughing all the uh, laughing all the way to the bank was a pretty good one. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my. Well, that's a random little rabbit trail we go. went on. I don't know why I'm bleeding. You're bleeding? Oh, no, I'm okay. No, I went golfing the other day, and I think I got into some 
poison, poison ivy. ivy or something. Now yeah. I scratched it, and here I am. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a great golfer, but there are elements of my game that are that are good. I hit one good drive. I <laughs> no, I had maybe three good drives where I was just like, "Wow!" And I, <laughs> I hit, I did hit a shot on a par three that was perfect. It's one of those ones that goes straight towards the pin. It hops right in front of the green, hops onto the green. Yeah, and I'm like. Oh, this could be a hole in one. I like never golf. I've probably gone three times in the last 15 years. Yeah. And it was one of those ones that just dribbled right by the cup. And it was so close to a hole in one. And the guy I was with, he's, he's older and he like, he's the next generation older than me. And he was just like, I've never hit a shot like that in my <laughs> life. And I'm like, well, crap. That was my one shot. I just and peaked. It, yeah, I just peaked. I I'm just never peaked. going back my to My golf this. game has peaked. <laughs> I had like oh, a 200 man. and... 30 yard drive or something just straight down the middle. That was perfect. And I was just like, yeah, I couldn't duplicate that again. If I tried <laughs> also, I can't putt for anything. I will four putt any hole. That oh you get man. <laughs> I can be on in two and I'm still coming out with six. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've never had the patience for golf. Um, my dad was teaching us how to play when I was a teenager and I was just like, this is expensive. <laughs> and it's also expensive and it just it takes too much patience and too much practice and i'm like you know what and it's something that you're never going to perfect oh never and and that it's like picking up chess it's like oh i want to learn chess do you want to learn chess or do you want to play yeah. chess yeah like there it's so deep you can go as deep into that water as you want, yeah. and it just does not end. And I think there's something about, I mean, I am, I'm all about diving into learning about things. That is a personality trait of mine. But there's a level of OCD that would have to kick in for me to be okay with <laughs> and or to just capture my, the, my brain and just run away with it. The worst thing you can tell someone with an anal analytical brain yeah. is like, it's just all angles and physics. Yeah. Just apply it. Yeah. Yeah, that's easier said than done. <laughs> you'll you'll make yourself go crazy. Technically, there's trigonometry involved in that too, though, because uh -huh. you've got wind variables and different things like that going on. Oh, and when man. you perfect all that, you get a new club. Anything that you get severe math in with me, I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> Anything that's reduced, that's probably the one thing that comes the closest to offending me is when somebody reduces something to math. I'm yeah. like, no, no. This is more, Music there's more substance. Oh, man, that makes me so <laughs> mad. And I just want to hit somebody. I'm like, okay, then you just go do what I do. You and go pick up a guitar and do what I do. You're like, no, music is heart. Yes, it is. And it is both. But the important part Has is. Has soul taught us nothing? Yes. <laughs> I remember hearing a, hearing a musician. feel it. I remember hearing uh, um, Michael League from uh, Snarky Puppy talk about that and and he was talking about groove and he was like yeah you can play as a bass player you because he was a bass player uh he's like you can play the notes you can play a song perfectly he's like but then there's groove which is spiritual he's like that's not something you can learn yeah. there's something in your spirit that gives you the ability to have that yeah and you you just find it and you lock into it and you never lose it again it's just something that exists in you and that's absolutely true um there is so much more music than the notes on the page. Yep. Playing the notes on the page will get you very little. Yeah, all you have to do is go to like a kid's talent performance oh, to be able man. to tell you when music is just going through the motions or doing the correct method and when people just really let themselves go and yeah. express themselves. They're two different things. Yeah.
Yeah. And the quality can be worse with even the expressive one, but it's better. Oh, it's better. It's just better. Yeah. It's just better. There's just something about it. That's one of the things that I love is there's something about hearing an original, like a songwriter, sing their song. And it doesn't matter. Like, like I would far rather hear Garth Brooks and especially hear Adele. I would rather hear them sing To Make You Feel My Love. But there's something about hearing Bob Dylan sing it because the man wrote it. Like there, It was his drive, his emotion, his connection to a moment that that creation came out of. And there's just something about that. Okay, if music is math... Why don't why do you even need judges for music competitions? Mm-hmm. Just put up your math score. That's right. That's right. If it's all numbers, that's right. Write the program. That's right. And and this one was technically better than that one. There you go. There's there's actually a really uh interesting there are not there's a whole, an app that hasn't been invented. A what? Giving a mathematical score for songs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a, a semi interesting uh, I want to patent on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a semi-interesting episode of Star Trek Voyager where their doctor is a hologram because their original doctor dies in, a tr- in the thing and it ends up being a hologram. Your doctor is hologram. You are yeah. screwed. Yes, and they are for a while. But he, he, his program expands as he's going through. And one of the things he does is he adds creativity and, and music to his ability. Well, they meet a species that has never heard music doesn't understand, like they understand mathematically what it is when they, it's explained to them, they've never heard it. And he becomes a sensation on their planet, just becomes this absolute superstar <laughs> thing. And they create another program that has a wider ability and range than him. And he's basically going to be replaced by this. And they're like, yeah, you go back with your ship. We don't need you anymore. We've created our own. And they do it completely mathematically. And so he sings this aria, and it's not perfect at the end. And, and the crew who's human is, is being emotionally moved you know, his crew that he worked with is being emotionally moved by his song, even though it's imper- imperfect. And then the version of him that looks exactly the same comes out, and he's singing these that are just these ridiculous intervals and octaves that makes no musical sense. It's impressive, the range that's being hit by the... I mean, it's going from a, a what sounds like a female soprano voice to a, a male low bass and doing it in, in one beat, you know, and so it's all over the place. And the the audience from that planet thinks it's amazing and the the whole crew that's humans just like this isn't even good but again <laughs> there was it was mathematical it was more impressive it was more and so again it's a perfect illustration of that very thing you know yeah. the the math behind it and reducing it to the math is just you're missing it you're missing the point um math math in music was giving it a name so that you could explain it to somebody <laughs> it was not the basis of what it actually is it's a teaching tool that's right <laughs> How far have we gone down this bunny trail? I don't know, but it's a fun little <laughs> rabbit hole. I liked it. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, one of the things I do not want to become is better at musical instruments. <laughs> I've already gone down that road yeah. and that's that's a dead end for me. Yeah. I don't see it in my future. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange thing for me because I've reached the point where I'm completely competent in what I do as a musician. Like and I don't mean that in the sense of like I've reached some kind of expert status. I mean, to do what I do for my current living, I am adequate. <laughs> like I am, I, yeah. I can do exactly what needs done. And yet I still continue to get better. I don't actively practice all the time, but my skills at playing guitar have improved from this time last year. And next year I intend to be better than I am now. But it's not like this... Because when you're first learning guitar, you you get better like 
a week's time, it's massively different. Yeah. You get massively better because you're, you know, you go from knowing nothing to knowing a whole lot of something, but then it starts to become more subtle to where you're just, it's about not playing here or playing less and more or knowing when. And there's, there's intricacies that start getting involved. So you don't get better. I haven't gotten better at guitar by leaps and bounds in, in years. Yeah. But I'm still better than I was a year ago. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, that's improvement. So that's, that's good. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Something about this year has made learning extremely difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, it's because hey. I'm so far out of my element in every other area, like because somehow we're not allowed to be people anymore. Yes. It, it has just made I think learning difficult across the board for me. Can I make a definitive statement right now? Sure. A bold it's your podcast. definitive <laughs> statement right now. <laughs> if if there is one thing that this lockdown has proven, it is that people left to their own devices devices will not become more creative and more content. Karl Marx was an idiot. He did not it was a great theory, but what did people do? They did not suddenly learn a new language. They did not suddenly pick up an instrument. We didn't do anything profitable did with not our time. Do a- we just sat around and we became... crap on Amazon. And became more miserable and discontent. We binged Tiger King. Yes. No, and, not all of us. And if you watch any of the videos of people walking down the street on trash day, yeah, I think we all drank way too much. <laughs> There was somebody going along and just videoing <laughs> all the bottles and that people had out. And they're oh, like, yes. really, people? This is a weekly pickup. Week- <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, but that if, if, I, if I need no other social experiment to demonstrate the flaws in Marxism, yeah. that was it. People baby. misused this time really bad. And I think it's because we're, we weren't allowed to be people. Yeah. Like, we weren't allowed to do our normal thing, and so everything we're doing is abnormal, and it makes us not want, like... Left entirely to our own devices, things start getting weird. But the people that were trying to hold everybody to a high standard of, like, you know, Shakespeare wrote this whole thing when he was in quarantine, I'm like, no, forget that, I'm surviving (laughs) over here. Yeah. Anyway, that's my other little rabbit trail. We're just full of them right now. (laughs) Oh, well, that, that means we should probably. Wrap it is what this happens. Up. Like that last bit of the hour, we start getting like it's random okay. and punchy. But stick that's with us long, that's long right. enough, and you get the random right. craziness. Oh man! Well, guys, always good hanging with you. Yeah. Do we have any takeaways from this? I don't know. What do you want to become? Yes. Like, if you want to tell us, I mean, we've tried to be real. If you yeah. want to be real, you can be real. And if you don't have anything that you want to become, find something. Right. It's a it's an important thing. And start it today. Yeah. It, something good should come out of 2020. Absolutely. So maybe maybe your next 10 years, your next 30 years comes out of now. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a blast being home with my kids during this season. Dude, I think working from home is going to be a fun thing that I get to do every now and again. Yes. So yes, yes. So yeah. I'll enjoy it when it happens. That's right. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.